Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Yesterday was the first day of fall, and in Northern Virginia, that means that the best hiking season of the year has arrived. I went on a hike last weekend, probably going on another one this weekend. Lauren, you should come with me. It'd be so fun. Mm, uh, You know, I have to uh, wash my hair. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I really need a vacuum. I'm just hearing a lot of excuses (laughs) right now. Don't you want to get outside? Enjoy the fresh air? Yeah, so I love to be outside, right? But every activity that I like to do outside involves sitting and not walking. (laughs) What do you do outside sitting? Just sitting, looking at trees. Just sitting, sitting in the grass. Laying out, watching football. Outside? You always watch football outside. It's in a stadium. Oh, well, but, I mean, how often do you go to games? I guess you do go to games kind of frequently. Okay. Yeah. Um, But also, I have a long history of falling down mountains. Okay, this seems dangerous. Yes. And so I've just made... I just don't go, go on mountains unless I'm in a car. <laughs> uh, in high in high school, I went to cross country camp in North Carolina, broke uh, sprained both of my ankles. Eight. Not fun. Yeah. When I was once tobogganing in the Swiss Alps, um, I, I lost control of my toboggan, fell down the bottom of the hill, had no cell phone, was lost. Nobody spoke English. Oh no! And then uh, on a church trip in West Virginia. We were skiing, and a girl with me broke her leg. So the little ski thing came, and they're like, sorry, mm. girls, we only have spots for two two people. Mm. They jumped on left me at the bottom again. So rude. So Well, what I'm hearing is I feel like we need to redeem mountains for you. Mm, no, I think we it's need some healing there. <laughs> I think I've tried it. I appreciate it. You can, great, you, can, you can drive up a mountain and get the same picture you can get if you hiked it. I mean, you you can't do that, but yeah, that was about the pictures, but all right. Well, today uh, we are talking about another hiking story that also didn't end well and did much worse than Lauren's poor hiking experiences. <laughs> um, and here with us to break down that story and several others is our friend Kate Trinko and the editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal. Kate, welcome back to Problematic Women. Thanks for having me. I um, realized I identify with Lauren in that I sometimes fall when hiking. <laughs> um, actually, last fall, one of the weird features of D.C. life is that you can hike near Camp David in Maryland. There's, um, I've been told, several li- lovely hikes there. I went with my siblings, and what I was told would be a not super hard hike ended up being rather hard and it was wet and slippery and I fell three times and I felt very middle aged for the rest of 2020 because I like bruised my tailbone and I had to wear I had to have this like pad that I put on chairs so it was comfortable to sit and I was like this is not okay (laughs) but it was a beautiful view and I would overall say I much prefer hiking to watching stupid football games so fighting words (laughs) All right. Well, Lauren, go ahead. Let us know what we have queued up on today's show. Up on today's Problematic Women, we talk about the tragic death of 22-year-old Gabby Petito and why the media and Americans are so obsessed with the story. Plus, we tell you what you need to know about the berries and cream TikTok phenomenon, and we discuss why inflation is rising in America. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, 
we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. What happened to Gabby Petito? That has been one of the biggest questions in the news over the past week. If you have not been following the story closely, let me catch you up. 22-year-old Gabby Petito and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, were living the Instagram dream. For several months, the couple was traveling through national parks in a van that they converted into a little camper. They had quit their jobs, and Gabby was working on starting a blog to document their adventures, and they also had a YouTube channel. Gabby posted their first video on their travel YouTube page called Nomadic Static on August 19th, just a few weeks before she was reported missing. The parents reported Gabby missing on September 11th after Brian returned to his parents' home in Florida with the van, but without Gabby. Brian refused to talk to law enforcement and then left on a hike in a nature preserve in Florida on September 14th. When he did not return home, law enforcement began looking for him, and he's yet to be found. Tragically, the remains of Gabby's body were found Sunday in Bridger-Teton National Forest in Wyoming. On Tuesday, a coroner determined that Gabby died by homicide. In the weeks leading up to Gabby's death, the couple appears to have been experiencing tension between one another. They were pulled over in Moab after police were alerted to a domestic dispute between the couple. Uh, No charges were pressed at that time, but police had the couple spend the night apart. Police are working on finding out more information than on what happened between August 12th when they were pulled over in Moab and then Gabby's disappearance just a few weeks later. Uh, Individuals have come forward saying that they gave Brian a ride in Wyoming at the end of August, and Gabby's mom says that she received a text from Gabby's phone on August 30th, but she actually doesn't think that that text came from Gabby. Brian is the main person of interest in the case, but police have still not been able to question him because he's disappeared. So there's a lot that we still don't know about this case. Kate and Lauren, have you all been following this? I definitely have. Um, At first, I wasn't that engaged, given that I like true crime. um, Well, I don't know. I obviously don't like true crime. Let me rephrase (laughs) that. Given that I find true crime interesting, at first I wasn't. I I just was like, oh, hopefully she's missing. And this is, you know, just big hullabaloo. But um, really, when her body was found and it was apparent, um, yeah, I think it's something that it's very compelling, as you mentioned. It's an Instagram story and the disconnect between what she posted on social media and what appears to have been going on in real life is it's very stark and very compelling. Well, I think so many Americans are interested by true crime, and that I think is playing into people's super fascination with this case and why it's being followed because it really does feel like a true crime documentary playing out in real time. Well, and she's living a dream of a lot of young women right now that she had a a boyfriend and they were affectionate and she had a cute Instagram channel and they had one of those vans that you kind of pimp out and you have put a bed and a refrigerator in and Virginia, like you mentioned, people love true crime and they love this like van life and let's be a nomad and 
explore. So when it comes together and came together so publicly, I can see, yeah, why the American people just took to it like that. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the van specifically, um, Lauren, because when I was researching this morning, which means sitting on my couch with my dog trying to wake up, um, but I was like Googling her. And one of the things that came up, um, I didn't watch the actual video because there was a 30 second ad in front of it. And who has time for this (laughs) was that apparently um, I think that I think this was at the domestic dispute that Virginia referenced. um, But there's like body cam footage of the van Mm. and the headline of the video was the body cam footage of this van looks very different than the way the van appeared in their form. YouTube video where it was clean and cute and then apparently allegedly the body cam footage from the police show you know it's disorganized there's a lot in the back of their van I mean no shade I'm like not a hoarder but I don't identify as not a hoarder I guess I would <laughs> um, and like living in a van for two people I can't imagine how it wouldn't be cluttered and crowded um, but I just thought that was such an interesting and I just think you know I don't know I obviously don't know Gabby Petito and I don't know what her goals were, but I think that so many of us women particularly struggle with social media and the pressure to lead a performative life on it Mm. and have what looks like a good life. And I think that like this is such an interesting case because it really gets into how often our real lives don't match that Instagram life. And as I've gotten older, I always find one of the most interesting things is um, when I see friends that I haven't seen in years, but I follow them on social media. And I don't even think my friends are like super social media obsessed generally. Like I, I'm not friends with any influencers or anything um, that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> but just the difference between connecting with someone in person and then comparing that to their social media life, there's always an interesting gap there. I even remember times when I have called a friend after they've been on vacation and said, oh, I saw your pictures on Instagram. It looks so fun. And then they proceed to tell me, well, actually, it was a really hard trip and there was all this family drama. And it's like, wow, you never would have known that from those really nicely edited photos that you really you aren't seeing someone's real life on on social media. Well, and I think another interesting facet of this case is how Americans have been so interested and have jumped in to help. But also when they jump in to help, they end up hurting because they're getting in the way of the actual police officers. Mm-hmm. And how how as a country and just in general do we balance you know, the hunting footage from looking for the boyfriend in Florida and going through thousands of thousands of hours of YouTube footage to find stuff while also not – taking having the public take the role as the police yeah no i think that's a good question i think there's a role certainly for the public to play that it's helpful modern technology even just having you know cameras on street corners and stuff that's so helpful today but it can just be create it can create a lot of noise that becomes a distraction instead of instead of a help for for law enforcement well i was also thinking from a surveillance perspective like my understanding is it was a blogger or a youtuber um, wow, I sound like I'm 100 right now. Someone who knows how to use digital media. Um, uh, saw their van and that's uh, they reported seeing the van or someone who watched their channel reported the van and then that's how the police were able to find her body because they were able to narrow it down. But it also gave me kind of an icky feeling in like this case that was a really positive outcome and like I'm not leading a secret life of crime or anything but it's a little bit scary to think about like 
you know, there just being cameras everywhere. Like, you know, if I'm buying Halloween candy for myself, I don't want someone's, you know, <laughs> cell phone at CVS catching me. Yeah. And being like, like, yeah, that's, you I don't know. Drink about three bags of Twix. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's private. <laughs> but yeah, it did make me wonder about the amount of surveillance we have in our lives. And again, in this case, it was helpful to have that. But it just sort of drove home how many there were. On the true crime front, I also think, um, yeah, it was interesting how I think people have helped in this case in some ways. Um, But it also made me think about, you know, there's been so much talk about why is true crime so popular? Why do so many podcasts with true crime um, resonate? And I believe it's overwhelmingly or at least majority women who listen to this. And as someone who does listen to this stuff, I thought a lot about it. And I was thinking maybe... It's connected to the Instagram stuff in a way that, you know, women, um, this is a stereotype, but I think women do think more about human relationships than men do. And I think what true crime gets at is people are not who they always appear to be. And people have Mm. so many secrets. I mean, not everyone, hopefully, um, but sort of that gap between what we think we know and what we actually know about other human beings. And I think that's something that social media exploits, but I also think it's a mystery that true crime really probes. Yeah, and I, I think also, too, it's it's the worst-case scenario for women. Right. right? We're, we're afraid of being attacked and murdered and just being the le- less strong gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something weirdly comforting in the worst-case scenario um, mm. where I— it's it's so dark, but it's like this weird human coping me- mechanism as well. I think it's a way to process those fears. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think speaking of, of coping mechanisms, I've been really fascinated by how much the media has been covering this. And thousands of people disappear tragically every year. And yet this case is, you know, I feel like every time I, I turn on the TV, it's either the border crisis or it's Gabby Petito. It's one or the other all week long. And I, I think in part it's an escape for Americans right now. For like literally the past year and a half, two years, we have moved from one massive, you know, either national or global tragedy to another between the pandemic and a crazy election and Afghanistan. And this is a situation where we can kind of all escape and engage in a news story that doesn't affect us personally on a day-to-day basis uh, and yet, you know, still feels like a big deal and you know, something to be aware of. Um, but it doesn't bear personally the same level of, of tragedy that, you know, a situation like Afghanistan has. So I, I feel like in some ways, you know, the American people are using it as an escape, which, you know, I honestly don't fault them for. Well, see, I actually wonder if it's the Opposite in some ways, just because I would say I think very few of us would be in a position where we would ever be stranded or in Afghanistan. We have U.S. citizenship, which is an amazing blessing. Um, so it's hard to think about like, oh, if the Taliban came knocking at your door, if your daughters couldn't go to school, if you weren't allowed to do all these basic things um, in some ways. Whereas like there are um, obviously a lot of people who go missing every year. I think um, some of them it's just – 
you know, it's different circumstances and maybe, you know, there's addiction issues or other things, not to mean that they don't need to be found or looked at, but it's a bit more complex. I think this um, has like clear cut narrative advantage, but I also think, I guess, where am, where am I trying to go with this? Um, it gets that like our real fears, as Lauren said, like we are afraid. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's something like, you know, every, I bet every parent is looking at Gabby's, um, you know, her mom, her stepdad and her dad and thinking, gosh, I've been so scared letting my 22 or 23-year-old spread her wings. And like, what if this had been my daughter? Mm -hmm. And now that we're hearing about this domestic dispute, I'm sure they're like, did we miss signs? Did we? And not, you know, they're in no way at all to blame. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's a way of thinking about something that could happen to all of us. And um, yeah, reflecting on that experience. But I think it's an escape in the sense that it's not about COVID. Yeah. It's not about Trump or Biden. Exactly. And that is a change of pace. Yeah. But it's so frustrating because we still do have Americans in Afghanistan. We're we're forcing masks onto two-year-olds right now. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that it's an escape. but the There's news migrants is, flooding across the Exactly. Yeah. Like the news is not where you go to get an escape, right? There, there's a Reddit thread with 100,000 people do it there. And yeah, we can have updates. But for us to be so laser focused on this, well, there's so many other issues. A, I think it lets the Biden administration off the hook where it shouldn't be off the hook. But B, like it just shows that Americans care more about like how they feel in the minute and not about the logical situation around them. And I, it's, it's just so frustrating to me where, yeah, I'm interested in this case. But like when I turn on Fox News, I'm like, what? They have they have a whole, you know, they have social media. Like, why are we focusing on this as our main focus? You know, it's interesting because I haven't covered it in the Daily Signal because I don't see it as a policy thing. We occasionally do stuff on the wider culture and we might do something on Petito. But, you know, I'm just like, we're well, not podcast. Ex- well, yeah, we're- <laughs> which I was like, guys, we have to talk about this. So I guess I did assign one thing. Uh but, you know, I think I don't think it's a black and white decision. Like, I think those policy things are important. But I do think that these events shape us like, you know, I still remember, um, you know, Lacey Peterson's case, which I think I was a preteen when it went down or, you know, when she was um, murdered. Um, she's sorry for those of you who are normal. She was um murdered her husband was convicted scott peterson of murdering her when she was about i think eight months pregnant on christmas eve Mm -hmm. so it was a story that went viral in the worst way um you know we still talk about the oj simpson trial we still i think some of these are i'm not always sure exactly what we're processing but i think they are really an important part of american life well i think there is that element too that remains true that we're all drawn to bad news. And while that's sad. <laughs> Not you, Virginia. <laughs> Virginia I do a good always... news story every Monday on the Daily Signal yeah. podcast if you want to listen. Uh, but no, I mean, there's just such a human element to that. Like, we're fascinated. And, uh, you know, it, while I I wish it wasn't so much the case, but I'm guilty of it, too. I, I click on the, the negative headlines just as much, I think, as anyone else does. So. I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence, Kate. <laughs> Now stay tuned because up next, we talk about the weird berries and cream TikTok phenomenon. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to keep up with the news that I care about. If you're anything like me, you enjoy researching interesting topics on YouTube or just simply being entertained. But sometimes it's hard to know what information is well-researched and trustworthy. That's where the Daily Signal comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the news that you care about. 
and give you the data and facts succinctly. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so much more. Go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so you can stay informed and never miss out on the news that matters most. Just when you thought the internet could not get any weirder, it did. Going viral this week is a 14-year-old Starburst ad. For my fellow millennials, you probably remember this. This is back when viral videos were just becoming a thing. But we'll play you the full ad. You tried these new berries and cream Starburst? Pardon me. What kind of Starburst did you just say? Berries. Berries? Berries and what else? And cream. Oh! Oh! Berries and cream. Berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. Berries and cream. Berries and cream. I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. So, do you guys remember that? I don't. Um, but I watched it last night and just died laughing. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. <laughs> Do you remember it, Kate? I don't remember. I wasn't watching a lot of TV. That <laughs> sounds like a real, like, um, I don't mean that in an elitist way. My college didn't like TV. So. <laughs> That's okay. Let's not forget last week where Virginia said the rapper, last name Rocky, first name has a dollar sign in All it. All right. Classic. All right. <laughs> but, uh, I remember that. It was, it came out in... Really, YouTube, I think, was founded in 2006. The Lonely Island was really big. And we would just randomly go, berries and cream, berries <laughs> and cream. Well, much to my pleasure, this ad is back. And the kids on TikTok are remixing it into popular songs. Virginia, Kate, I just want to play you one. And then we can talk a little bit. And then don't worry, I have plenty more. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. I can't. It's I just, can't. It's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> we'll just <laughs> we'll <laughs> jump in. You guys, uh, it's just so funny. Like they're they're auto-tuning the commercial into the song. I mean, I'm just so impressed at the time that these people are taking to edit these songs. Like, this is dedication. I love that you say you're impressed, Virginia, because I, <laughs> as I was watching these, was like, I don't know how to break it to these folks that they have a limited lifespan. <laughs> Whether it's three score and done or whatever, like, if you're watching these stupid things, sorry, guys, I'm a TikTok curmudgeon. I'm like the opposite of Lauren. Um, like, this is a waste of life. This is a waste of effort. It doesn't bring me joy. Um, anyway, it's like I would recondo this entire thing out of my life. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh. Recondo it out of your life. Well, I'm, I'm not on just. On TikTok, but I am on Instagram Reels, and I watch way too many Reels, so I I am a fan of these trends. It's like, <laughs> I, I mean, at the same time, like I like live your truth, Virginia. It is such a waste of time, but they're really funny. They're so funny. They're so funny. <laughs> Can we get the John Denver one, please? To the It's just, oh, I, 
so funny. <laughs> I mean, since you guys aren't in the studio and can't see us, you should know that Lauren looks like she just won the lottery right now. <laughs> like, she is just, like, pure happiness. Uh, I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it's so innocent, but it's also the same time, like, it's bad, but it's so good at the same time <laughs> that when it just comes together, it's just... Well, it's interesting you did Innocent because I was like, if I have to watch these stupid things, let me try to overthink this. And um, so I was like, so if you're familiar with the ad, um, the, the berries and cream guy, kid, I don't even know what to call this thing. I think he's a man. Okay, man. But apparently he identifies as, as like a, a they, them. Oh, okay. Well, so it's as a they. I reject binary <laughs> pronouns. Um, but yeah, this person is wearing a, um, I don't even know how to describe this outfit, but it looks very old fashioned, like kind of like if you were drunk and made a Renaissance fair costume. <laughs> That's um, accurate. Yeah. And I was thinking about that because I was looking at dresses online the other day and I was like, everything is still a prairie dress. And I don't. I am, for those of you, I, I don't know if this prairie dress is a technical term. It's what I call those dresses, or maybe my sister started it, or maybe everyone does call them that. But the dresses with like several tiers, they tend to be floor length or mid calf length. They tend to be kind of loose at the top. And um, I don't really have a problem with those dresses. I don't really, I don't love the way they look on me. But my bigger thing was I was looking for dresses that could work for like work, church, and fun stuff. And I was like, this is not going to work for work. <laughs> <laughs> like if I show up to the DC office like wearing this like prairie dress, like I don't you know. Do I, it. Um, I feel like it's going to push <laughs> somebody. <laughs> but anyway, I was like, why are these stupid dresses still in besides the fact that they basically function like a nightgown, which is not a small fact in their favor. But it did make me wonder if um, maybe we're going through another nostalgic period. Like everyone's well, nostalgic for like the 1600s. <laughs> well, but Kate, like, are you 2007? <laughs> Right, 2007. Thank you, Virginia. No, but I meant like obviously none of us were like. Okay, first of all, Lauren, the prairie is not the 1600s. Like the prairie is like the 1800s and American pioneer. Okay, on the record, can you tell me that you are not a witch? Um, I am not a witch. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, no, but I do wonder if like. To some of the points we were talking with Gabby Batito, um, you know, we're living in such a tense time period right now between the pandemic, politics, you know, I think there is a nostalgia going on. And I don't think like berries and cream bro obviously does not have a specific historical period with which he identifies. But I do wonder if it's sort of like this maybe fake nostalgia for an era that never existed, but that we imagine like, oh, in the past they weren't dealing with like mask, no mask, vaccine, yes, vaccine. Yeah. Nicki Minaj is now a conservative. Like all this stress <laughs> that we're like facing wow. right now. <laughs> Kate, I think you're way overthinking it. I think you just got to like enjoy it's like Jimmy Buffett. I can't music. enjoy it. If you think about it too much, it's really bad. But if you just listen to Jimmy Buffett and just like relax, you're like, wow, this music speaks to me. And you just have to just so live in Berries and Cream TikTok. When did you first, like, was it this week that you heard your first Berries and Cream TikTok? Yeah, I want to say it was last Friday night. <laughs> Okay, that's, it sounds like we're breaking <laughs> and down were the you, case here. <laughs> were you immediately like, I love this? Yes. Yes. I just don't get it. <laughs> just, I mean, I feel like probably the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Like, it, like it's just funny. It's just, just funny so entertainment. Funny. <laughs> but I came to your point. I think there is this desire often of like, oh, back in the day when life was simpler and 
2007, we probably wouldn't have said it then, but it was a simpler time than what we're living in right now. Um, and commercials were maybe a little simpler, and there's nice shock value to that commercial. Uh, I'm sure that Starbucks is loving this right now because you can still buy berries and cream Starburst. Oh, you can? Apparently. Can. That's what I heard online. So don't people, don't be <laughs> mad at me if you go to find them and you can't find them. But I heard that they are still out there. Uh, so, you know, hopefully I, their, also, their sales are doing well. <laughs> Sorry, I also hate Starburst. So that's another <laughs> layer. Hey, Trinko uh, hates Starburst, wow. but is not a witch. Also, are we going to play um, the the YouTube dance video at all? The YouTube dance. Oh my video. gosh, Lauren, do I know something you don't? There's a berries and cream dance. Wait, yeah, like most of the TikTok. You don't know this? Most of the TikTok isn't. Oh my gosh! All right, this is where my research pays off. Most <laughs> of the TikTok phenomenon, I guess, according to some article I read, isn't based on the original ad. It's based on a YouTube video they did. About how to do the dance? Yes, I have seen that. Because okay. that's where okay. the extra, like, I'm a little lad. Uh, and, and, the, mommy and the mommy died. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is so dark. It's very dark. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he says something like, yeah, mommy used to make me do this dance, but now she's dead or she's gone. And it was like, what a weird aside. Yeah. But again, we like morbid things. Do we? Wow. I mean, I... Well, everything ends in death. Oh. Well, oh. Lauren, I hope this ends in you being this weird little guy for Halloween. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Before we switch to our next topic, I just wanted to play one more. Virginia's favorite, Taylor Swift. Mm, thank you, Lauren. So he calls me up and he's like, I'm a little lad. And I'm like, I'm just, I mean, this is exhausting, you know? Like, we're and cream like ever no Wee. <laughs> it's just amazing that's the best one that is the best one in my opinion oh. <laughs> all right well i don't know how exactly you segue from berries and cream into inflation um are berries and cream more expensive now uh, yeah Probably. i think so yeah. <laughs> because of inflation that uh we're we're gonna try and make make this pivot here <laughs> well you already went from oh lauren you don't like hiking let's talk about a girl who died while hiking so oh, there's a, it's only up from here we're, we're stretching uh. our transitions a little bit today but uh inflation is something that i'm sure you all have you know heard news stories about been seeing maybe even on social media people are talking about and you've probably even noticed that when you go to the grocery store things are costing a little bit more and really at the center of that is inflation. It is on the rise, and we have big government spending, at least in part, to thank for that. The government is spending at a rapid pace. Since the beginning of 2020, our national debt has increased by over $5 trillion. And that does not include the debt that we are likely going to take on through the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and the Democrats' $3.5 trillion spending bill. So I always like to say I was protesting the debt before it was cool. I remember in college protesting the debt. And it was only $13 trillion. It is now up to $28 trillion. It's oh, crazy. And the number's so big, you can't even put it in context in your head, right? Like it just – I mean a million dollars is huge and then a billion dollars is like wow. And then a tr when you hit a trillion – It's like what even is that? Um, I want to see video of college-age Lauren like a Miller Lite in one hand protesting the national debt in the other. <laughs> oh, I can pull up those photos for you 100 <laughs> um, percent. But here at the Heritage Foundation – the best team in the building worked with the multimedia team, worked with Senator Rick Scott to produce a video that really puts that number in perspective. Politicians in Washington have just let America keep stacking up debt with no consequences. Let's put trillions of dollars into context. 
If we go back a million seconds, that's 12 days ago, just under two weeks, going back a billion seconds, that will put us all the way back in 1990. A trillion seconds? Well, that would shoot us back more than 31,000 years. So just think about that. The federal government is nearing $30 trillion in debt. That is a massive hole to dig ourselves out of. $30 trillion is $233,000 in debt for every family in America. So the question to ask is, does all the spending actually affect you and me? And, and if so, how? Well, the answer, yes, it obviously does. And really the most immediate effect is seen on a day-to-day basis through inflation. Inflation is rising so quickly in America. The Department of Labor recently announced that inflation rose by 5.4% just over the last year. Now compare that with in 2020 and where inflation rose by 1.4%. So that's a drastic, drastic jump. According to a recent Hill-Harris X poll, American voters say inflation is one of their biggest economic concerns right now. And honestly, I am right there with them. The national debt has contributed to the rise in inflation, but there are a lot of other factors. So let's take a few minutes and first talk about what some of those factors are that are contributing to inflation. And then we'll talk about what does the government actually need to do to get things under control? So I think one factor, uh, and I just want to stress before we get really into this, I am not an expert on this, so I apologize <laughs> yeah. if I mislead I mean, none anyone. Of us are. <laughs> <laughs> Did not do not come from an economic background. Uh, I mean, I come from an economic background. Wow, I shouldn't be a writer and editor either. Um, oh, wow. But I don't come from an economist background. Um, Anyway, I know that one of the issues is supply chains. Um, Now I'm going to sound like a DC tool, but when I was talking to my Uber driver recently, um, he also works at a car dealership. And we were talking about how used car prices are so high, um, but also new cars um, are being affected by... I don't fully understand this, but I guess a computer chip shortage. Mm. And that has to do with COVID. Um, so, yeah, like used car prices are sky high right now. This is a topic of deep interest to me because I personally drive a 21-year-old Camry. <laughs> For the record, Kate's car is the what the exact same model that was my first car, just one year newer. Um, so, yeah, I, I currently drive the car that Lauren drove in high school and college, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a lot of miles on it. Anyway, but... Um, oh, it's a great car. It'll run forever. I hope... Well, so that's funny that you say that because it should run forever. But a year ago, and the reason why I have this Camry is my other car was in a car accident. Not my fault. Um, I just want to be really clear about this. Someone ran through a stop sign and T-boned me, and it totaled the car, um, which was kind of crazy to me because this happened in like a neighborhood street. But it's made me like a little bit less DC aggressive when driving my Camry because I'm like, I really don't want to have to buy a new car or a used car in this environment. Like you are not going to get a deal. It's going to be the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is crazy how something that can feel far away or distant, like supply chains, like I've never really talked to friends about that. Like that's not a normal conversation. (laughs) Really? Really? Not even your friend ASAP Rocky? (laughs) Mr. Rocky? You know, ASAP and I, we sat down. Mr. Rocky. (laughs) But it's crazy how these things do start actually affecting 
our our day to day lives. And I mean, I'm thinking about you know I I walk into my favorite restaurants now, and you know I've experienced services really really slow because they're understaffed, and we can trace that back to the fact that for so long the federal government was handing out you know uh, unemployment checks another three hundred dollars a week to people, which obviously gave people the incentive to not return to work, to not take those jobs. And so then, uh, you know, employers had to be paying their workers more because they were demanding more of them. Uh, it just, it all snowballs one thing after another after another. And eventually it actually starts affecting your own bank account. Right. And actually, I want to give a shout out to Lauren here because she um, co-produced a documentary a few months ago that we did about um, this gentleman whose name is escaping me, but he's disabled. And he um, was really affected by the unemployment checks because he couldn't find home aid workers to take care of him. And that was really impacting his quality of life. Like he needed people to set out his meals um, and other necessary tasks, help him with bathroom needs. Um, And it was just a good reminder. um, And you can check out that documentary on the Daily Signal's YouTube page about how policies have uh, unforeseen consequences. Yeah, I, all 2021, I've just been thinking to myself, like, ugh, elections have consequences when it comes to Afghanistan, when it comes to this. And yeah, OK, it stinks that groceries are slightly more expensive and gas is more expensive. I know the three of us are lucky to have great jobs in Washington, D.C., and it makes us uncomfortable. But it really does make people have to have choices between do I – you know, if I have to put gas in the car, gas is more expensive. They have to cut somewhere else. Or or it, even just the threat of coming short on cash is, is really scary. And then you think people who are getting to retirement age, people, if the inflation is 5%, that's 5% less that you have in retirement to retire. Mm-hmm. And if you're 58 years old, probably going to live 30 years, that's a whole year of expenses, right? So yeah. it, it even though it does seem small to a lot of people, and it and it is small, it's incremental, but that's that's the problem that we have in our society. It's incremental. It's, you know, gay marriage is legal. And then it goes to we're celebrating LGBTQ in our schools. And then it goes to, okay, now there's 97 genders and we need to transition. And I'm not saying that at any point there's even a line that you can draw, but it, this incremental, incrementalism is what's gotten America where it is today. And it, it's, it's so frustrating when elections have consequences and we saw this coming and it's happening and it's just so terrible. And it's not that small. Like I was thinking, and I know you have to do this too, Lauren, um, and now this is a little bit awkward because Virginia is on my team. But when I'm, you know, looking at employees' raises every year, you know, I have so much that um, Heritage has provided me with and sometimes, you know, I can ask for more. Um, but, you know, most time, most of the time raises are a few percentage points of that. And I think that's pretty much industry standard unless you get a promotion. Um, but like how valuable is a few percentage points if inflation is driven it up? And then I was just thinking, wow, the staff's going to be discouraged about this. Like that kind of sucks for everyone. Um, yeah. I mean, it really adds up. Yeah. And it's, it's everywhere, right? Like it's your paycheck is less valuable. The things that you buy are less valuable. I mean, if, if you're lucky enough to own a home, that's one place where you can kind of win. But besides mm-hmm. that, it's like everything else gets more expensive and your your buying power gets lesser. And for those who are saving to buy a home, I mean, I'm starting to think about like, OK, I, you know, in the next several years, I might want to move in that direction. It That option becomes uh, it's just a lot more challenging when, OK, <laughs> you know, I, I can either eat tuna fish all week or I can, you know, have 
real food and, you know, it's making hard decisions about, okay, how much am I saving? How much are my living costs? How much do I cut down? Uh, it gets you gotta, tricky. You got to talk to Lauren. She's the queen of Aldi's. Yes. She'll teach you how to shop bargains. I, I do love Aldi. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm on that bandwagon. I do have a real soft spot for Trader Joe's, though. So we pivot back Well, you just have to do, like, I have, like, a two-week Aldi, one-week Trader Joe's. Two-week Aldi's, okay. one-week Trader Joe's. That's a pretty good rhythm. Because there's some stuff at Trader Joe's that you can't get, right? No, yeah, you have to yeah. get the staples. But yeah. then you want, like, the fancy frozen food from Trader Joe's and... And Aldi has been on totally unrelated to inflation. <laughs> their A game with candles recently for four dollars. Oh, their fall candles this is have good been to know. like on point. And um, yeah, so I I go weekly just to <laughs> buy a new candle. Wow, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> okay, so what then can the government actually do about this? What are what are the steps that they need to take? Isn't it Ronald Reagan that says the scariest words you can hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help? <laughs> I think it was Ronald Reagan. Very topical reference, Lauren. Yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> but they're the ones that are spending out of control and doing things like, you know, handing out unemployment checks right and left, which they have they have now stopped. But there are obviously large consequences to those actions. Uh, so they need to take steps right now to be reining in this spending uh, and you know, they're continuing to debate over these massive spending bills. We have heard this week that you know Democrats are saying, okay, we may need to pare down that $3.5 trillion spending bill because many, many other uh, congressional leaders are pointing out that that is not practical and uh, needs to be smaller for them to vote on it. But uh, there are strategic steps that need to be taken ASAP uh, because we are headed down, I feel like, a, a pretty dark and troubling path if we keep spending like how we're spending. Right. And my understanding <laughs> from some blurry-eyed research this morning <laughs> um, is that the way that in government spending ties into inflation, because at first I was like, I don't get how these are connected, um, was that just when you put more money in the economy, the natural response of the economy is to raise prices mm-hmm. um, because that money is available. So why not? But then it just ends in a terrible spiral. Um, so, yeah, we need to stop spending. I mean, it really is. It's so scary. I mean, Lauren, what you say about like, you know, when the debt was $13 trillion or whatever, um, you know, I remember like doing reporting at that time about it and no one really seems very worried about it. <laughs> and that, I mean, I thought after Greece, we all agreed to take this a little bit more seriously, but I guess not. Yeah. Well, and so speaking of what my college activism was, <laughs> if, if any of our listeners are in college, get involved with a group on campus and do activism, it's the most fun that you can have. And Ben Bernanke Fact was... Fact check, not necessarily <laughs> true. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had a lot of fun in college. And you call but... me a political science nerd, Lauren. <laughs> um, the most fun in college is activism. It really is. On what, the national debt. Yeah. <laughs> but what we did is, so Ben Bernanke was the chairman of the Fed at the time. So we made Bernanke bucks, and they were like some absurd amount of money. They were like a billion dollars, Right. And we would go up to kids and be like, hey, guess what? We're trying to stimulate the economy here at the University of Central Florida. We're going to give you a billion dollars. You know, what? go buy lunch. And kids would be like, what, what are you talking about? We're like, yeah, we're, we're stimulating the economy. Go buy lunch. And they're like – and then we got into like just printing money. It, it was it was really fun. That's what makes really you happier, Bernanke Bucks or Berries and Cream TikToks? <laughs> uh, berries and Cream TikTok. Uh. <laughs> Uh, well, the U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she has been for a while now, a couple of weeks, really giving warnings to Congress 
about um, about our defaulting on our national debt and the danger of that. And just this week, U.S. Secretary Janet Yellen, she said again that defaulting on our national debt will make America a permanently weaker nation. She's been giving warnings to Congress now for several weeks saying we have to get our debt under control. And uh, what we've done for several years now is we just keep raising that debt ceiling higher and higher and higher. And we keep getting closer and closer to that line of defaulting. And now we're just, you know, we're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it further and further to the edge. And if we do default, that puts America in a really weakened state. Uh, And honestly, I don't know what happens after that, but I don't think it's good. (laughs) All right. Well, stay tuned. We are about to crown our problematic woman of the week. But before we take a break, we're going to have to say goodbye to another very problematic woman Kate, thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Uh, If I don't get berries and cream out of my head soon, there will be consequences. (laughs) I'm going to walk by your office all day and just be like, berries and cream, berries and cream. (laughs) She will. She definitely will do that. I'm going to like be sent to anger management at the workplace. (laughs) You're going to be like Andy in the office and punch a hole in the wall. (laughs) I mean, I'm kidding, HR. I'm kidding. I wouldn't actually do that. (laughs) Thanks, Kate. Bye. Are you looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about? The Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels offer interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to both the Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels today. You can search for either on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash heritage foundation and youtube.com slash daily signal. All right. It is that time. Once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. The crown goes to Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch. Attorney General Lynn Fitch is working on a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. Back in 2018, Mississippi passed a law banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The law was challenged and began rising through the courts and is now heading to the Supreme Court. On December 1st, the court will hear oral arguments for the case, which is called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Depending upon how the court rules, we could see Roe v. Wade overturned and power returned to the states to decide their own abortion laws. This is the biggest abortion case to go to the Supreme Court in four decades. I sat down with Attorney General Fitch earlier this week to talk about the case on the Daily Signal podcast. So I want to play a little clip of our conversation for you all. I asked her how the case would actually impact abortion laws across America and in each state. Take a listen. This whole case is about the rule of law. Because this is about the rule of law in each state. You know, we elect legislators, we elect governors, and it's their job to protect the interests of the people that they represent. So they must come forward and enact laws that they think are to the benefit of those that they represent. Uh, they're acting in the best interest. They're creating a variety of different laws that they believe are protecting the people within their state, and particularly for us in Mississippi. And so they are accountable to the people of Mississippi, and they enact the laws. And so we shouldn't have courts in so many different muffled and tangled up ways that decide who and what and when, how an abortion should be um, 
placed. And so for us, it's all about giving it back to the states. That's where the real rights lie. And I, I think this is a true argument that they will uh, return to the states. Again, it's not a constitutional issue. It's not you know, strictly set through the Constitution to do that. It is actually a true rule of law. So then truly how much power would be returned to the states? Would would a state be able to completely ban abortion, for example, if if the Supreme Court rules in Mississippi's favor in this case? Or, you know, for a state that is more to the left, would they be able to open abortion up even more broadly if they wanted within their own borders? What would be the limits of that? Well, and that's a great question. So the way the parameters would probably come down would certainly signify how each state can move forward. But if they're true states interest laws, then they are subject to making those laws that they fit to their respective states. I, I think you definitely will see a variety of laws. I think you'll see certainly very conservative uh, states that will follow suit, that will want to be protective of the unborn, protective of the mothers, protective of the medical profession. Uh, but it will certainly give those rights back to those other states as well. The Supreme Court will release the ruling on the case sometime next year, but Attorney General Fitch says she's very optimistic about the outcome of the case. While Virginia being in the pro-life movement, it's great. We're on the right side of history. We get to fight for life, and it's so kind and inspiring to be on. But I will say we don't get a lot of wins, especially mm-hmm. on the federal level. So I'm really excited for this case. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, and it's it's good to see people like a, Attorney General Fitch fighting fighting for life. Yeah, I'm really glad to see that she's optimistic. I think, Lauren, like you, I'm also uh I'm excited. I'm hopeful, trying, you know, I guess kind of guarding hopes to not be too high. Uh, But this is an opportunity that we have not had in four decades to actually see the dignity of life returned to unborn children uh, and unborn children protected. So as Attorney General Fitch said, she hopes that, you know, for moving forward, the, the case to talk about won't be Roe versus Wade, but it will be Dobbs v. Jackson and that this is going to be uh, a really moment in history where we see the needle move and things change in America and life be protected. So a lot of things uncertain, but one thing for certain, we will keep you up to date here on Problematic Women. And that was such a fun show, but that's all we got for you this week. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Now, we will have a show on Tuesday, a great long-form interview with a good friend of ours. We're super excited to bring you this conversation. And then, of course, Lauren and I will both be back with you next Thursday. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.